Welcome, friend. We are so glad you've joined us to listen in as ordinary people share their extraordinary stories of how one man changed their lives forever. No two stories are the same, yet it's our hope that you'll relate enough to want to meet the same man all our listeners have met. Listen as my friends tell me about a man that gave them hope and love beyond their wildest imaginations. Welcome to a special edition of Tell Me About a Man. What makes it so special, you ask? It's my 50th birthday. I couldn't think of a better time or way to tell my story than on this day on this podcast. Now, it would be weird if I interviewed myself, so to keep things from being the bad kind of weird, I brought in my two favorite weirdos to keep it the good kind of weird. Amelia Harrison and Stephanie Thomas, welcome to Tell Me About a Man. Thank you for having us. So excited to be here. Now, you two are no stranger to our show. Steph, you shared your story on episode 9, and Amelia, yours is on episode 15. Both are powerful and a must-listen. So, this is where I turn the show over to you. Have at it. Uh, But I'm not qualified. Neither am I. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I have an icebreaker question for you. Okay. You ready for it? Uh, Not really, but go for it. (laughs) If you could instantly learn a new skill, what would it be and why? Sign language. Really? Yes. I want to learn sign language so bad. I just haven't put the time in. There was even this school for the deaf. Mm -hmm. I I hope I'm saying that correctly. South of here. They were doing like two free classes over this past summer and I signed up for it and just never got around to doing them. Yeah. Sign language. So, do you know that I have an associate's in, so la- in sign language? <laughs> no, but now I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, free classes right? for beginners right? Exactly. totally help you out Exactly. If you could just put those on YouTube, and then we can access anytime we want, that'd okay. be great. That'd be great. But why? Why would um, you want to learn sign language? Early on, it was when I was in the medical field, and when you'd have a patient come in, and they were deaf, and there was the only way I could communicate with them was, like, writing out questions, and that was just so frustrating, And uh, not very long ago, we were at Chick-fil-A and there was a gentleman who um, was deaf trying to order. And the guy that at the Chick-fil-A counter that was taking his order knew sign language and without like he just instantly went right into signing with the guy. And it was just it made the, the customer feel so comfortable. And so I don't know. I think it's just a way to communicate with people who already struggle to communicate and you know, it's like being in a foreign country. I should know their language. They shouldn't have to know mine. So that's all. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Something I did not know about you. There you mm-hmm. go. My turn. Okay. Tell us why you started Tell Me About a Man. Um, so back in probably 2019, um, I was just had this passion to hear people's stories. And if you sat in like my Sunday school class I was leading, and I was just always encouraging people, when you tell your story... It's going to make them tell theirs. And sometimes that's a way to confirm or to help someone confirm if they actually do have a relationship with Jesus. And so that was kind of my, without when you know, lack of a better word, mission was to like provoke people to tell their story, to get other people to tell their story. And then God just really laid it on my heart in early 2020. I think I'm pretty sure it was pre-COVID to just start a podcast and you know, even three years ago, podcast, you were like, oh, that's so intimidating. And um, now anybody 
can start a podcast. I mean, look at me. Like, <laughs> I know nothing technical. We're still figuring it out. Um, and so, yeah, I just, God just really laid on my heart to get people's story out there, stories out there. And it's not for believers. You know, tell me about a man is not necessarily for us as born again Christians to, to listen to. I mean, there's encouraging things and it should be encouraging for us, but it's more so when I'm visiting with someone and I, they can't relate to me and I can't relate to them. So for instance, I've never done drugs. I don't know what it's like to be addicted to drugs. So if I'm trying to share Jesus with someone and they're like, you don't understand, they're right. I don't understand, but I can sure click on Clay's episode and say, but this guy does listen to him. And so the idea is for us to take it and share it with those that need hope that we can't relate to. I think one thing, well, that's really, really cool. Thank you. Yes. Like, um, I have met so many people who have listened to your podcast. Um, and even just as Christians, I really feel like, and even me personally speaking, um, hearing other people's stories has encouraged me to be able to open up um, and talk to people that maybe I wouldn't normally think, you know, would want to hear my story Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, it's just really encouraged me. And it's probably encouraged people to come to you because they're like, I didn't know that about you. Help me through the situation I'm working on. Has that made you uncomfortable? Look, I'm taking the show back over. As you know, people have come up to me that really I've, you know, I mean, I've had maybe spoken five words to or never even at all. And they've come up to me and they're like, hey, I listened to your podcast and it was just, you know, really encouraging. And I don't like to talk about myself, but, you know, I mean, I'm like, oh, thanks. You know, I don't, don't really know what to say sometimes, but I'm like, oh, wow. You know, like my personal story did reach somebody, right. you know? So I just think I don't, it's just been very encouraging. Thank you. I am. Um, I also have listened to every single episode, many of them more than once. Um, and I always feel connected to that person in some way or another, mm-hmm. which I think is great because you're, even though I've never met, met these people as many of them, it's like having a community of believers that mm. you're building. That's good. And so, you know, like I learned a lot from Clay. In fact, his story made me slam on my brakes in the middle of the highway. Really? Um, Casey's story really gave me perspective in my own journey through grief and healing. Mm. Um, that just, it just really touched me. And it there are things like in there. Pumps. It does. And so <laughs> we just want to give you testimony to what, no. what you're doing for other believers in a addition to non-believers it's crazy to think you know you always hear the things and i've said them to so many people a million times like you know god doesn't call how does that wait how does that go god doesn't call the god doesn't call the equipped equipped i want to say equips the called god doesn't call the equipped but he equips the called or there's versions of that right yes and i've said that to so many people and then all of a sudden god's like i need you to podcast i'm like i am not capable like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so it did take me three years to finally go, okay, we're going to do this. And it was, I was so afraid of being disobedient because my relationship with God is more a respectful fear and a father. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, and so I just didn't want to like be disobedient. So I was like, I'm going to have to be uncomfortable to be obedient. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. That yeah. is the essence of being a believer. Right. Well, and would you rather be comfortable and be disobedient? Or would you rather be uncomfortable and be obedient? 
I think before in the moment you're like, no, I want to be disobedient. But then (laughs) once you actually, you know, I don't know why we act so scared all the time, but then whenever we actually do what God has called us to do, you're like, oh my, how amazing was that? Right. You know, to see his work be carried out. Most of the time we're the stumbling block. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So we're in our own way. Okay. So tell us a little bit about young Gina. Oh, young Gina. Um, she was wild. She was just full. She was wild. I probably have adults in my life that would disagree with that. Um, little girl Gina was definitely full of energy. Yeah, my mom couldn't even keep friends at her house because I was just full of energy and jumping off cabinets and and probably just needed a really good butt spanking, which I know she did. So yeah, I was um, ADHD before that was a topic. So um, I was born in Pennsylvania. I was raised in Houston until eighth grade and then went back to Pennsylvania for high school. The adults in my life didn't always make the best choices. Therefore, my siblings and I were exposed to a lot of cruddy things that stole our childhood innocence. Um, Alcohol abuse destroyed so much for us. I have some really sweet childhood memories, but each one is tainted with some sort of physical or sexual abuse. So needless to say, I have daddy issues and I've had them for a long time. And eventually into my adulthood, I have mommy issues too. And that's really hard to say because I know they're going to listen to this. And as they listen, I just want them to know, I believe they did the best that they could do. Um, It just is what it is. And so this is me working through that over the last 50 years. Holy bejesus. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about what church life looked like for you as a child. Yeah. So as a child, really, I remember when we lived in Pennsylvania, going to um, local church like VBS, whatever was like within walking distance, or maybe the church bus picking us up. um, And it was random churches. It was just whatever. And in Pennsylvania, I mean, I know in the Bible Belt that we live in here in Oklahoma, there's, you know, a lot of churches up there. There's a lot of very big, ornate churches. I remember the a bus picking me up. I remember walking. I remember doing some BBS stuff. But it was not um, spoken in our home. Like, it wasn't, you can't go. It was just, we don't go as a family. Like, that wasn't the center of our family. Alcoholism and abuse was pretty much the center of our family. Like, we, you know, my sister and I both remember a lot of... Um, nights just laying in bed and hearing things um so and then when we moved out of pennsylvania my mom my parents divorced we moved out of pennsylvania and moved to houston my mom and um now stepdad they weren't quite married yet we went to houston for a better life he had family down there and that was something he had always dreamed of and so um i think she was just trying to get away from all the danger all the pain and unfortunately alcoholism followed us there also and so then we lived in a home of secret alcoholism and um we met some neighbors that did go to church and that was kind of how church was introduced to me and my sister how old were you at that time so we moved to pennsylvania i think when i was six okay i'm I'm sorry we moved to houston when i was six and so you had some neighbors and you start going to church with the neighbors? Is that- yeah. Yeah. So my sister started babysitting for them and um, they were just a sweet Christian family. And um, my sister's four years older. So she was like 15, 16, started babysitting for them. And then she kind of aged out. I started, I kept babysitting for them. And um, to this day, we'll always thank them for just being those neighborly people that just took an opportunity to say, just to show 
some kids from across the street what a loving home looks like. Now, they at the time, they were pretty strict. Like, you couldn't say shut up. You couldn't say crap. Like, you, like that was cussing in their house. Um, and to me, I'm like, oh, gosh, if I only heard those words in my house. And so um, they were really good about just going, but this is why we don't do this. This isn't honoring to each other. This isn't, you know, kind. We just don't say those kinds of things. And, but at the same time, they were super fun, and they were just a place where I wanted to be because you just felt love there. When you were going to vacation Bible school, and even when you moved to Houston and you're around this family, did you ever feel the presence of God in your in, in, in your own body, in your own heart? Or did you ever feel a call drawn to him mm, in those that's moments? That's a good question. No, it was fun activities for me. Um, now, I can look back and think going to their home. And feeling that, yes, this was a this was a new warm feeling that I really did like. And as I got a little older, I was able to help. They were going to a church, and this church was growing like crazy. And I got to help out at a Mother's Day out. So I mean, you have to remember, I'm like 12 years old. Like I'm just this preteen girl hanging out with this lady and her three kids, kind of like helping her out, sort of. You know, I'd go to the grocery store with her. I'd watch one or two of the kids, and so I'm um, helping out with Mother's Day out. So that was kind of my first introduction to a church. And then it was hey, we're going Sunday morning. Do you want to come with us? And I can remember listening to um, Pastor Kurt Dodd and him, like he would tell stories, but then he would relate it to scripture. And I remember loving his stories and going and relating to those stories. Like that's how I was learning. But I still didn't quite figure out I wasn't thinking like, who's this God or this Jesus that he's talking to? I just knew it was a place where I wanted to be. So God's, you know, you hadn't figured it out yet, but God was planting those seeds for you, though. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. He was yeah. definitely, you know, this is this is a place where um, I'm going to love on you and you're going to want more of this for sure. And so kind of fast forward, um, not too long. I believe my parents started coming. Um, they, my mom and my stepdad started coming to the church. It had it had grown so much they'd built a huge big, big church. And it's um, the Metropolitan Baptist Church in Houston. And I believe it's still there. And it was like the choir was like 250 people. Like it was a huge, like it went from like a little country church to gigantic city church. Make, I hate to use the phrase mega church, but I believe it would have met that definition. So I think my parents started going and um, there were still a lot of lies in the household. There was still um, things that weren't right, but at least they were going. Um, I think as a family, we were saved together, you know, kind of, you know, and then we all got baptized together. And this was a really cool feeling for a girl who didn't have a whole lot of love in her house. And so like, finally, there was like some harmony and some really cool things happening. And I believe we all got baptized as a family together. I can look back now and go, I believe that someone within the four hearts of my family there were heart changes I know it wasn't my heart change I think I was just doing it because this is my family you know I'm 12 13 years old and then we had a revival at our church and um a good old-fashioned 80s revival um this would have been like what 86 87 and Rick Stanley who is Elvis Presley's stepbrother came to preach he was leading the revival and it was wednesday night youth night i will never forget you know you always invite the youth and have pizza so get them there with food and he was just talking about the discourse in his family and if you know anything about elvis's story there was a lot of alcohol and drug abuse even before elvis was 
famous. And, you know, his parents had divorced at one point. His mom had remarried. I think, I hope I'm getting this right. If I'm not, you can read the book from the King of Rock and Roll to the King of Kings, and it will tell you everything. And so he was just talking about how all of this abuse and how all these daddy issues and these, these, this, these horrible fathers that he'd had in his life. And um, then he started talking about this one father that he had meant that would never leave or forsake him, that has never hurt him, that loves him, that he can never mess up. And and I remember sitting there in my pew looking up on the stage and I was like, I need that father. That's, That's the dad I need because all the other ones in my life have let me down. They have hurt me emotionally, physically. Um... And they've let me down. And you're telling me there's this one that's never going to do that to me. That's who I want to be in a relationship with. And so at 13 years old, I responded to the altar call that night. Went back and talked to um, the pastor's wife, Ginger. I'll never forget her. And she was like, wait, your family was just baptized. Like, and I, and it, I can look back now and go, I was doing it that for my family. And that's okay. But I appreciate the fact that she was questioning that, like, but why are you here now? And as we talked through it, she was like, okay, this is legit. Like, this is for real. And I believe that is the moment of my salvation that, you know, I accepted being a daughter of the king. So you found your salvation. Did surrender happen at the same time? No, no. And that's something we'll get into in a little bit. And I believe for some people that is true. And I know there's controversy around that. And if you really want to get in a conversation, I'm happy to do that with people. Maybe that'll be the spinoff podcast that we make someday where we talk about those things. Um, But for me, I was accepting this gift of salvation that Jesus was giving me because I needed to be with that father that wasn't going to hurt me. To understand surrender came later in my life. Okay. So did things improve in your home after family salvation and baptism and yeah I think things were good for a while I think um I I can't speak for each person's heart um especially I was a 13 year old kid so I don't know exactly what was happening in the conversations within my parents um within you know in their relationship I, I do know that at some point old habits and addictions crept back in. I don't know if they were ever stopped, but I do know that they crept back in. Well, like sometimes, you know, I feel like when people get, you know, have salvation and then, you know, they go to their daily lives or they go home and um, those people aren't necessarily saved or they are, but they're not living, you know, um, a saved life, mm-hmm. then, you know, there, there's not the encouragement and stuff there. So were you getting that from your parents, like encouraging you to go to church or like, I'm praying for you or, you know, just, I mean, what we do as, you know, friends and family for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I do not have a memory of receiving those types of things from my parents. So after family baptism and then salvation at 13 and now you're a true believer mm-hmm. what what happens next yeah so that was somewhere at like 13 so seventh eighth grade and so at, right after eighth grade we moved from houston back to pennsylvania and again that's you know stuff that was going on with my parents it was job related it was 
whatever they had going on. My parents are nomads roaming the earth in search of happiness. Like I used to get frustrated by it because I went to eight schools in nine years. Like I have never had a home. I've never had a hometown and I would get so frustrated for the longest time. And I've just learned to, to like lean into that. And that is part of what makes me able to go have conversations with strangers or that makes me want to know people in a faster way. And I also don't think about who they were in the past. You know, I'm not sitting here going, well, did you know Amelia back in high school? You know, like, I'm like, I just know you right now. And that's okay. It's also a good gift to have, you know, like God turns something that, you know, most people wouldn't want to move around that many times, you know, like not. And you wouldn't want to do that to your children. Right. You know, I think about that now and like, I'm kind of with you. I went to seven different schools from the time I was in kindergarten until fourth grade. And so there's just not a lot of recollection there, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, you're right. I wouldn't want to do that to my kids, but you know, I feel like God has taken that and turned it into a gift for you, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that you can do that. And then eventually to the podcast now. Yeah. And I think it's where you can like you, this is a choice. You can like waller in your pity and your victim mentality of, Oh, I've never had a home, which I did for a while. Or man, this is great. I am adventurous. I love new things and new places and new people, but it also makes me appreciate the one home that I finally did have. All things work together for the good. Right. Um, you can't pull that out yet because that's one of my verses. <laughs> so you get back to Pennsylvania. So yeah, so we, um, our family tried to find a church home, but we moved again and eventually never plugged back in. I found myself once again at a new school trying to fit in. This would have been like my, f- well, that would have been my freshman year and then my sophomore year. A few new friends had encouraged me to try out for Varsity Cheer Squad. Mind you, I had never cheered a day in my life. I just have a really loud voice (laughs) and a lot of energy. (laughs) They must have seen something in me. And we also weren't allowed to play sports or be in activities like that when I was growing up. I remember being told we don't have the money for that. In my mind, I also felt like it was just a very selfish thing for my parents to do. And so when someone else is going, hey, you should try out for cheer, my mind goes to, well, one, we don't have the money for that. And two, um, I'm not going to have rides. I'm not going to have, my parents aren't going to be there. And so even the few things that we did get to do, like, you know, you had to do like the choir concerts that you had to be at on Tuesday night, or you were going to get a failing grade. My parents weren't in the audience. Like I was the girl who had to get a ride and I was the girl who had to there and from you know, or it was, hey, we'll drop you off, but um, our show's on. That's right in the middle of our show, and we're not going to be able to pick you up. And I hate saying those things because I know the whole world's going to hear this, and I want to, I don't want to disrespect my parents, but at the same time, that's the reality of what I grew up in. And so not missing things that my children attend is extremely important to me because I know what it's like to sit out there and not have your parents there. So, for example, like the cheerleading thing, I did make the squad, which is crazy. Maybe their standards were low. I don't know. Maybe I was just loud enough. I don't know. But I did make the squad. But those games, my parents didn't come to. There was only one football game that my parents came to sit at. And that was they came to watch the guy I was dating. So, like, I mean, there's struggles there. Like, that's a, you know, it's a thing. So, that's why I have issues. And so, um... Yeah, made the squad. Um, so to me, I was finally accepted. I was included. I was, um, I had a community. 
And then um, I caught the eye of the quarterback of the football team. Hey, hey. I know. He was a year older than me. Um, and he asked me out. Of course, I said yes. And um, really, I was just living the American dream, like sort of, you know, I mean, like typical teenager meets, you know, quarter, the new girl cheerleader meets, you know, the football player. And, and, you know, we were having fun. I mean, life was good. Um, I think my parents probably gave me a little too much freedom. I also lied to them. I lied enough to be able to do the things and get out as much as I wanted. Um, and, um, fast forward about a year later, I was pregnant. So I was pregnant at 16, um, a junior in high school. He was a senior and I didn't know what the crap I was going to do. So what did you do? Mm. Well, I didn't take the advice of the adults that were around me. (laughs) Um, I had some adults telling me to have an abortion. I had some adults telling me to put the baby up for adoption. I had um, an adult tell me, you have to get married because you can't bring this baby into this world without a last name. (laughs) Mind you, (laughs) could have been my last name, but I wasn't. I mean, you know, you're young and dumb. The normal worldly responses, I feel like. Right. So um, we decided, and you know, I mean, I, I did have feelings for Phil. Like we were like in this together and, you know, in my 16 year old brain, we were going to continue that sweet little American love story and get married and, you know, live happily ever after. And so he went into the military after he graduated and we did get married and I worked really hard. At that time, there were not programs for teen moms to finish their um, education and get um, their high school diploma. So your only option was your GED. And so I actually got my GED, like a graduated high school, quote unquote, um, before my class even finished their first semester of their senior year. And so I am the class of 92. Just (laughs) it looked a little different. What's amazing is I was just side note, I was visiting with someone here in Norman and there's a program um, here for teen moms to It's very supportive. It's like daycare, but they have to be in class. It's amazing. It's called baby steps. And it started, she told me 30 years ago. So in 1993, so, and I had Amanda in 91. And so I think teen pregnancy was on such a, a rise then. I'm glad to hear that schools are finally going, listen, we need to support these women to help them get their education and men. I mean, they actually help the, the male students also the dads. So um, so yeah, we got married. He went in the military. It was the Navy. So he's out to sea a lot. Um, but to me, I finally had a family that I was going to do all the different things with. I was going to do all the things that I f- felt like I missed out on. So my kids were going to hear every single day that they, that I loved them. We were going to be at events when they got older, you know, there were all those things. And I think I so loved having a family that, um, we went and got pregnant pretty quickly. And um, so Amanda and Dylan are 18 months apart. And I had two kids by the age of 19. And um, by the age of 21, I was divorced. Wow. That's a lot in Mm -hmm. what, six years? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of it was my choice. Like I I chose for us to get a divorce, but I also knew things weren't right. I knew we weren't seeing eye to eye on a lot of things. And some of those were like, how are we going to raise our children spiritually? 
we couldn't. That was my next question was, you know, your husband, was he, were you guys, you know, in church together? Or was no. he, you know, no. a Christian or? No, he was, I, I think he was the little bit that I know about his faith growing up. It was more legalistic. Um, you know, it was routine and we do these things and there, I, there was not a relationship with Jesus. I would say, again, I'm not walking in fellowship with God, but I know enough to know that there's more and we need to take the steps to get there. And that wasn't being encouraged. So even at 16, 17, 18, 19, you knew the importance of instilling those foundational messages with your children. I knew there was something. I knew there was something. I didn't know what it was. And I think this goes back to when we have new believers, whether they're 13, whether they're 20, or whether they're 50, we have got to help them quickly understand this is a relationship with Jesus. This is how you build on that relationship. And this is how you become disciples of Christ. Because if not, this is what happens. We fall very quickly out of relationship with God. Well, and bad things are still going to happen, you know. Yes, or, we're going to make bad choices. Know, yeah, like when we're saved, it's not just, oh, then, you know, everything's perfect. But I do think, though, um, knowing the importance of setting up that foundation, yeah. you know, whether, like you said, they're 50 or 5. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like just the knowledge and putting the heart change and the knowledge together to create the wisdom to make the right choices, correct? So, yeah, so I'm a single mom. Um, I still wasn't making good choices. I mean, I could sit here and tell you that, you know, Phil and I divorced because we had spiritual disagreement. That's not it. Like, we just, we were so young, and we just did not do any of the right things, you know. A lot of guilt came with that. I felt horrible that I was repeating family history, that I was just not making a better legacy for my kids. I felt like I was just falling right back into those, you know, Oh, what do they call those? Generational curses. Yes. And so I'm just like, man, so there was some guilt that came with that. Um, made a lot of bad choices as a single mom. I was finally 21. I could go out. Um, and so, yeah, I lived a very selfish life for a while. I had some amazing people that had one of the greatest babysitters ever. And she just stood by me while I worked out this nightlife that I had to live. I wasn't like... Again, I told you earlier, I didn't do any drugs. Um, there was some drinking. I just loved being out. I loved people. And I remember I have like my life at 16 completely and totally changed. And then at 21, here's some freedom. So, so you're like, hey, we need to go talk to some people. I was yeah. like, I mean, I, I was a stay at home mom that whole time. Like, so I'm just been I don't want to say stuck in the house, but for an extrovert, that's really hard when there's no one for you to like be out. And so I love dancing. I love, you know, country dancing. And so that's, we could just go out all night and, you know, dance and have fun. And I could be a mom and I had a job and, but things weren't always great. I mean, I was making, you know, $7 and 44 cents an hour supporting two kids with no additional support coming in. Do things change? Mm -hmm. And Why? Things changed after I hit rock bottom. And rock bottom for me was thinking I was invincible and making choices that eventually landed me in handcuffs. And it was really pretty simple. I just didn't pay a speeding ticket. My license got suspended. I totally ignored it and just kept on going until one day I got pulled over. And um, I mean, I, I my mindset was it's not going to happen to me. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm fine. Right. And, um, no, that's not true. 
And I, I can sit back and think God was like, listen, I really don't want to do this, but I got to get your attention because you're making some really bad choices. And these are not, my kids were not my priority. So again, I was just repeating these selfish things. And so I have to bring up that I was arrested because that caused me to have to stay um, with some friends. So I was making choices that were going to affect not only me, but my children for the rest of their lives. I actually was about to move to Texas with a guy, um, me and my kids. Isn't it crazy that that's the exact same thing that my mom did? Generational curses. Right? Yeah. And I can look back now and be like, God was like, listen, I have to throw something in here. So I couldn't go. All of our belongings went to Texas, but me and the kids stayed behind because I had to um, serve some community service with a suspended license. So I had to ride my bicycle to community service while my two kids were, me and my two kids were living on a friend's couch. Like it was bad. Like, and very humbling. It was horrible horrifically humbling was it humbling at the time or were you more embarrassed because you weren't really in fellowship you know like being embarrassed and humbling I feel like are two you know if you're gonna say humbling is related to being in fellowship with God no it was not humbling because I still wasn't then getting it yeah there was still this inner like there's more for me and Mm -hmm. you're kind of messing up Mm -hmm. but this wasn't like oh God, I'm out of fellowship with you. It was embarrassing. Yeah. It was horrifically embarrassing. And I knew better, but I did need to eat a piece of that humble pie. You know, like when you're sitting in the back of a cop car with your hands cuffed, wiping your tears on your jeans because you can't do it with your, you know, on your knee because you can't do it with your hands. Like it's a moment, you know? And so, I mean, making the best of it, I'm still not like, it's not like I'm like some depressed, horrific person. I'm like, this is what happened. We're going to serve our community service. And um, we had a picnic at my friend's house. And I had a girlfriend who was um, there. She was single. And, you know, my other friend, um, he had a guy on the boat because he was in the Navy. And we were going to like play Cupid that day and let them meet each other. And it didn't work out. And I'm so thankful because (laughs) um, that's how Jody and I met. And so, yeah, that's when things got better. And I knew, I knew the choices, the people that stood by me up to that moment regarding the move to Texas, regarding letting us stay in their home, regarding all the support they'd given them. And then I take this ridiculous right hand turn and throw everything off. And they were upset with us. They were really upset with me. Um, I knew it didn't make sense to them and it looked horrible from the outside, but in my heart, I can look back now and God was like, you have got to do this. You've got to pursue this relationship with this person because whatever choices you've made up until here, I haven't been involved in and you haven't let me be involved and it's not going to go well. But if you stay here and you pursue this relationship with this person, it's going to be okay. And yeah, we, um, like a couple of nights later, we stayed up all night long just talking and the rest is history. History, huh? History. <laughs> so while you and Jody were up all night talking and in the very beginnings of your relationship, were you having conversations about your faith and what home life would look like in relation to your faith? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. And yes, we were. And um, that was probably um, one of the first five questions asked by him or by you i don't know (laughs) 
But I remember where we were sitting when we were talking. I think we were still immature enough Christians to say, were you baptized? What church did you go to? Yes, I was baptized. What church did you go to? So it wasn't like, do you have a relationship with Jesus? You know, it was just more like baptized. And then we knew, and it was funny because we actually both attended the same um, denomination and we both had been baptized. And, and so, yes, that really was an early part of that first conversation. Do you feel like that that was a surrender moment for you? No. No. (laughs) She's not going to give it up. (laughs) No. No, 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 no. So, I mean, um, there's a million details and things that we could go into and for, you know, the sake of not taking too long. So this is in Virginia. So, you know, Phil and I had moved. He had gone in the Navy. We had moved. He got stationed in Virginia. We moved there. We ended up getting divorced. I stay in Virginia. And that's, this is where I met Jody. And so he's in the military also. He's also in the Navy. And as we pursue this relationship and, you know, introduce him to the kids and it just morphs into us deciding that we're, you know, we want to spend the rest of our lives together. Knowing when he's getting out of the military, um, we have to start deciding where we want to live because we knew for me, I had lived in so many different places and I had moved so many different times. And at this point, I was still bitter about not having a hometown that I wanted my children to have a home to be able to say I'm from here. So we started thinking about, OK, so that means he has to get out of the Navy because in the Navy you move, you know, in the military, you move so much. Where does that mean we're going to raise our children? We didn't think it was going to be in Virginia. And so he was like, why don't you go back to my hometown? He had about nine months. Um, he was going to be out to sea. He had like a three-month cruise. He was going to be in for a couple weeks. Then he was going to go out for like a, ni- a six-month cruise. So it was almost a total of like nine months that he was going to be gone. So for, hey, those nine months that I'm gone, why don't you and the kids go to Oklahoma, live in my town, my, my hometown, and if you like it, that's where we'll stay. If you don't, we'll, we'll figure out something else. And so Amanda, Dylan, and I, we pack up and we move to Lindsay, Oklahoma, 3,000 people. And we put ourselves in this community. Of, I knew his family, but I had to get to know people. And um, I didn't always make great choices again. I was messing up again because I was wanting to be included. There was this desire to be included. And it wasn't like... I'm going to make a bad choice to be included. It was, there were people that were being very kind to me. And then I might find myself in a situation that probably wasn't good, a good decision as a wife or a mother. Me, I just like stayed out too late at a party. And my mother-in-law was stern yet loving enough to remind me that that was inappropriate. And I hated hearing that, um, but I needed to hear that. And I don't remember if it was, I don't think it was that same situation, but fast forward, I remember um, feeling so alone again. I was really alone in Lindsay. Um, My husband was out to sea. Um, We hadn't seen each other in months and months and months. And this was pre-texting. This was pre-email. Like you're just writing letters and you're hoping for a phone call whenever they hit port. And so we were renting a house. And the carpet was like this rust color um, carpet. And I remember just falling to my knees and just saying, okay, God, I'm so alone. I need you because I'm messing up. 
I'm making bad choices. I don't even know if my marriage is going to survive this. I brought my kids to this town. I know people, but I don't know, know them. I'm a total outsider because these people, I mean, it's, it's small town America. They've known each other their entire lives. I'm the outcast. I'm the new girl, right? And in my mind, I was believing all these lies that I was never going to be included um, like the other ones are, right? And so I know history with these people. So how could I ever have a deep relationship with them? They have history together. Yeah, like since birth. Right, exactly. And so um, I just remember falling to my knees and that would be my moment of surrender. (laughs) That would be the moment that I was like, okay, God, I'm messing this up. And I'm going to continue to do that. And that's not good for me. It's not good for my marriage. It's not good for my kids. So it's yours. And slowly but surely, I mean, that was 20 plus years ago. So what does that look like? Because salvation versus surrender, like how did your life turn around? I can't. Because you were already, you know, you're already saved. You know who God is. You know, you're in somewhat fellowship with him. Right. You and Jody being married and all of that. So and talking and having those conversations. So what did that surrender look like? At one point, the kids and I ended up moving back to Virginia to be with Jody for the last 11 months of his deployment. We thought, or his assignment there, we thought we could do it, but it was really a struggle in our marriage. And there was a fear that if we weren't together um, for a whole nother year, that our marriage wasn't going to survive. So I hated uprooting the kids again and moving out there But the goal was we're just going to be here for 11 months and then we're going to go back and we're going to stay in Lindsay. So to answer your question, when we went back to Virginia, I was like, hey, I think we should probably like try and attend church. Okay. Like we both knew it, but we weren't like super verbal about it. And so just Sunday mornings, we would just attend different churches. Like what type of church do we want to attend? Like what denomination, but what does that look like? For those months, there were some churches that we attended. Um, we just made better choices. Um, had tried to be more present with our kids, more present in our, in our, um, our marriage, our conversations. Was I like diving deep into a Bible study? No. Um, we were just attending Sunday mornings. Let's just, Keep it as simple. Um, Jody gets out of the military in July of 01, 2001. And a couple weeks before he got out, the kids and I moved back because he was finishing up on a cruise. And so um, the kids and I moved back. And shortly after he returns, I get pregnant with our third child. And that's Hope. And obviously you have the pregnancy. And then Hope was born March of 02. And that was probably... Somewhere in that pregnancy and hope being born when we were like, we need to like be in church. Like we need to be growing as Christians. And then through the years, it was, this is a relationship with Jesus and I need to have a relationship with Jesus. Then I can be a better wife. I can be a better husband. I need to love God more than I love my spouse. Then I can love him then I can then I can love my children. And so it's just been 20 plus years of learning all the little things that just have helped us grow in our faith. Do you think that when Jody was out to sea and you were all alone and you knew that that time apart 
wasn't making your heart grow fonder, but it was creating barriers in your marriage. Do you think, looking back now, that God was using that opportunity to draw you to him? Was there ever a moment when you were feeling alone before your surrender and going out? Did did you ever, like, can you remember any kind of um, instances where God was like, hey, I know he's gone, but why don't you come over here? I wouldn't say I felt that, but to the first question, I would go back to what you say. It's not a cause and effect. It's an event and outcome. Is that right? Am I saying that right? Yes. So earlier you said, you know, Romans 8.28, he makes all things good. And I think, I don't know, Jody and I didn't make the decisions that we made to be separated that long in a godly way. I'm not, I can't sit here and lie to you and say, we prayed about it and this is what God told us to do. We, just as humans and as parents and as a married couple, we thought we were doing the best for our family at that time. I would say, though, God took advantage of that opportunity and said, since you're alone, I'm going to enter the space with you and I want you to see me. Then you can start to resolve things that are struggling. I love it when he does that. Does that? (laughs) (laughs) So has there ever been, you know, kind of like a moment of confirmation where it's like all of this comes Mm -hmm. around and makes sense to you? Oh, gosh, a million times over. (laughs) Gosh, so many times. You know, you fast forward and you like serve in the church and, you know, Jody and I, um, because there's 10 years between Amanda and Dylan and Hope, I mean, that's a long stretch. There's 10 years between our two kids and our one kid. And so we served in the youth for a really long time, like 17 years. And I can remember one time sitting in the back of the youth room, like it's on a Wednesday night, the kids are all being preached to and specifically praying for one student that was just in a struggle at that time. And all of a sudden, like the Holy Spirit was like, do you realize when you were a pregnant teen, someone that you didn't even know was praying for you? Because remember, I told you that we had tried to join a couple of different churches. Like we tried. So there were youth pastors that knew me. And so like it was almost like there are so many things happening around us that we don't even know that God's like people are interceding on our behalf and that God's taking care of us. And I can sit back and think, I mean... I'm 50. For 50 years, God has shown favor on my life because all the bad things are not from him. The bad things are the choices that selfish people made that hurt me. And I'm one of those selfish people that made those choices that hurt me and my children. And so God's like, I have bailed you out so many times or I've loved you through so many of these things. And yeah, I mean, to answer your question, oh my gosh, that's just one of many where I'm like, okay, this makes sense. I see why... 20 years later, you did this, or 10 years later, you did this. Now it's becoming, you know, a point of maybe where before it could have been bitterness, and now it's maybe, could you say thankfulness or gratitude or? Yeah, probably all the above, for sure. Um, Like I said, you know, just change. I think it's just changing your attitude and seeing God for what he did in it. You know, I don't don't know if you guys are going to ask me about this, but a couple years ago, we and God called us away from Lindsay. Oh yeah, me too. Okay. You were going to get there. So many Can we go there now? Yeah, because we were like, well, what does the future look like for you? Can you we know, go there like, now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, and I'll keep all that cause that's kind of fun. I have a question. Uh-huh. I have a leading question on this cause I've okay. been thinking about this for okay. this next. Hello. Okay. I know I've got some editing to do. <laughs> okay. So you had your moment of surrender in rent house on a rust colored carpet uh-huh. and 
things are improving in your marriage and in your family life. You're digging into church. You've dedicated your life to serving the youth for how how many years? 17 (laughs) 17 years. And your kids are getting ready to, you know, Amanda and Dylan have graduated. Hope's a senior in high school. I'm plugging in a lot because I know this story. Right. It's okay. But do you think a person can have more than one moment of surrender in their faith? And if the answer is yes, what does that look like in your life? So I am no theologian, and I'm sure there's someone way more intelligent than me that has a better answer for this. Um, And so if I'm defining these words incorrectly, I apologize if I have led anyone astray or made another brother stumble. (laughs) For me, there's that one moment of surrender, and I think the rest of it is sanctification. It's a big churchy word, but I think it's moments of just in-depth growth and reflection. We see where God's working and we make the choice to like continue to lean into that. She gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> I like it. And, and there's been a million of those moments. Um, and so where I was kind of going with that earlier, go ahead. You, are you good? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, she's like about to bust. Um, was, you know, so for 20 plus years, I finally have a home. Like I have a home. And um, when people are like, where are you from? I'm like, from Lindsay. Like I was loved. I was, um, it did not come without its struggles. Like we, anybody who's ever lived in a small town and people would ask, like when we were moving to, from Virginia, people are like, why would you want to move to a small town? Everybody knows your business. I'm like, well, don't do any, like, don't do anything that you care if they know your business. But even then people make up business. Right. So it, it, no, 100. <laughs> oh, the stories we could tell. Right. <laughs> that aren't even true. Nope. Nope. No small town comes without, you know, there's good and bad in everything. Right. And so, but for the most part, like 90, something percent I loved being a part of this community my husband and all three of our children graduated from there we were so in it and then probably hopes sophomore year God was giving us each a spirit of you're not going to be here forever and I didn't like that I didn't like it at all at all I hated it just to be just to be clear And then moving into her junior year, we were like, we need to go into a season of preparation. Like we started preparing our our home to sell. We, but we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what that looked like. We had honestly, we didn't know if we were going to be overseas missionaries. We didn't know if we were going to be living in an RV. Like, and these are all like real conversations we had. I think that would be hard for a person who has been a part of a community for so long now and somebody who had really wanted it, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, I know you said you were hating it, but were you like telling God no, but you were still being obedient or praying that it wasn't going to happen? I didn't tell him no, Okay, but I said, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. And I'm going to do this because I know there wasn't a shadow of a doubt that that's what God was calling us to do. So you're still being obedient. Being obedient, but I did not handle it with grace. I didn't like it at all. And I wasn't a nice person. I kept a lot of it to myself. Internalized. Internalized a lot of it. I um, There were a couple times when I tried to speak in some of my friendship groups about it. And for whatever reason, it was interrupted. And I was... Oh, I was so mad. I was so mad because I was like, this was supposed to be my moment when I get to like 
these are my people and I'm supposed to pour into this and they're going to help me through this. And it was interrupted. And I, I can look back and think God was like, no, these are those moments that you just need to lean in on me. Like you, you don't need another human to help you get through this. You and I are going to get through this. And so, oh, I hated it. I hated leaving everything I knew, everybody I knew. So what had happened was we ended up moving to here to Norman, Oklahoma, which is only 40 minutes away. But a town of how many, though? I mean, a hundred and I think it's 120, 150. It's something a huge, like yeah, that. It's yeah. a huge from 3000. Exactly. Yeah. And so you go from being known to not being known. And you go from knowing pretty much everyone to not knowing anyone. And that was really hard. And I kept asking God, why are you taking my community away? Because, um, you know, over those 20 plus years, you have watched people need their community when they least expected a million. You're one of those. Mm-hmm. And, and even in the midst of that, we had moved and then the craziness in your life starts. Your community is surrounded by you, is surrounding you in the midst of one of the worst possible experiences you could go through. And I'm 40 minutes away, right? And so... But you showed up anyway. I did. I did. I did. And so um, I was struggling with God taking me away from my community. I have no more community. And... We eventually found a new church home. It was like seven months later. That's, that's how long it took us to find a church home. And I remember one day God going, I didn't take it away from you. I just added to it. Mm-hmm. And he's okay with me just being a spoiled brat sometimes. <laughs> and like just stomping my feet and going, I don't like where you have us right now. Having your little fleshly moment. Oh my gosh, yeah. yes. And But I also know that he can take it. And I know that he loves me through it. Like I said, he's the father that's never going to leave me. Because any human parent would have been like, get over yourself or walked away, you know, or whatever. And so, um, yeah, there's been many of those moments. Um, I don't even remember what the original question was. (laughs) Thank God for grace. Oh, gosh. Yeah, for sure. What do you feel like his plans are for you right now? Like, let's let us know what that is looking like. Because I feel like you're you are going through a whole lot of like, you know, big, fun and exciting changes. So, I mean, since you've been up here, you've started the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, So what is, you know, God calling you to these days? I'm trying to decide if dreams are God's calling. Okay. So dreams in the sense of <laughs> laughing in a million we can space. Have our, we can have our own dreams. <laughs> right. You know, and so sometimes I feel like in those instances, you know, like I've had the dream to do various things, but then they've, you know, kind of fizzled out. But I know when it's a Holy Spirit dream uh-huh. that it keeps coming back up and he uh-huh. keeps giving me a vision. Uh-huh. And so, you know, yeah. is it a whole, is it a holy dream or is it a Gina dream? I don't know. I'm figuring that out. <laughs> I'm figuring that out. I think also sometimes our dreams morph to follow his plan. So that may not be like the whatever the dream is right now, your steps to achieve that dream may be dots connecting you to whatever it is that he's calling to. That's good. Even if he hasn't quite revealed that to you yet. 
Yeah, because like if we knew the whole staircase, I mean, I love, I've seen this image so many times. If if God put light on the entire staircase, we would be like, no, mm-hmm. that is. I'd be running away. My yeah. quads are never going to make it. too many it. steps. Thank yeah. you. But he lights up like one or two at a time and says, okay, you can make it up these two. Mm-hmm. And then I'll put a little more light on the next two. So I totally agree with that. Um, what does the future look like? So, um, yeah, so like, you know, even the podcast dream, I said that was. 2019 2020 covid you know the whole world flips upside down we end up moving here in the next year um eventually finally launched the podcast june of 23 so apparently i'm a slow learner and because i mean that's like three years till i finally do it you know we have found a great church home we love our new church family um jody and i are starting a new business we're building a business in oklahoma city um we would eventually like to buy I don't ever want to say my forever home because if you've listened to any part of the story, I don't stay in one place very long. <laughs> so I'm, I really would hate to say our forever home, but I would like to say our next longer term home. You know, what does that look like in building that or is it already built? You know, we um, now have a son-in-law and so are, are, are we going to be grandparents someday I don't know um are we um you know we have our son is in the military and I look forward to traveling and visiting him and what that looks like we you know hope is about to graduate nursing school so there's a lot of things going on and I I'm hoping that God is just making a way for us to enjoy those moments but also still fulfill the purpose that he put each of us here for, and that is to give God glory and make Jesus known. So this is a season, another season of unknown. Transition was the word I've used for the last few years. Right. So, but, but it's a second season of transition from 2019 when you guys first started discussing moving and and all of those things yeah it's like season two on netflix right so does season two (laughs) feel different in your spirit than season one did do you still have some of that bitterness and anger or is it more anticipation and excitement this time there's no bitterness and anger there was a time when i was really hungry And I've lost that a little bit. So there's this need to get hungry again for God's word. There is excitement and there's adventure for sure. There's definitely a spirit of excitement and adventure, but there's also like caution and wanting to make wise decisions for the long haul. I know there are various things that God is using you as a vessel to reach people right now, and it's not just the podcast. So do you want to enlighten us about that? Well, I guess so, since you called me out. You you can't say no. Yeah. No, no, no. No, no. It's good. No, it's good. Um, I actually kind of forgot. You the person a question. And it is funny because I do feel like, and we've had these conversations as just friends, is... There are some people that are in a profession, and it's one profession. It's the only thing they have to focus on. It's what they do every day. Um, I have, like, a bunch of different things. And so multiple times throughout the day, I wear, like, seven different hats. And so one of those is, as we were talking, um, you know, there's the business that we're building. There is um, this podcast. And then also professionally, you know, the paying gig. I'm an executive team coach and meeting facilitator. And so what that looks like is just helping executive teams or executive leaders in a higher level learn how to communicate with their team so everyone is successful. What's crazy is I don't professionally promote that 
as faith-based, but the spiritual gift that God gave me of discernment is what makes me good at that. And I hate saying that because it makes it sound boastful, but I'm learning that when people walk in their gifts, that's why they're good at things, right? Well, you're so good about giving him the glory too. Like, I think that's where it's not... It's not your big head. Well, you can't exactly do that. Like, I mean, you can, but I don't exactly do that in, if I'm in, you know, a board meeting with a bunch of executives and I'm like, yay, all glory to God. You figured out how to not fire somebody, you know, but at the same time, but you're also not taking all of the credit and like, man, I really killed it in there and I'm just so good. Okay. I see. And that's what I I see what you're, why you said that. Yeah. So like, I mean, when, when we learn what our, what our spiritual gifts are that God gave us and then our talents that he gave us and we use those professionally, like we can help people who aren't believers. And I'm not saying anything like this is no knock on people who are just Christian coaches or who, or, or who aren't believers at all and are coaches. I'm just saying I know the spiritual gift that God gave me and that is discernment. And so I can sit in a room with a bunch of people who aren't talking or communicating very well and I know what's going on in someone's heart and I don't mind asking the question and looking like the fool. So the person who's afraid to ask that question is embarrassed. I think there's a difference between being proud of the gifts that your father has given you and your ability to use them to help other people mm-hmm. and being proud of your own abilities mm. in the flesh. Mm. So I don't think that it's a negative to be proud of the fact that the, that God has given you a spirit of discernment. Thank you. Because you do use them for his glory. Well, and I think as Christians, we need to be careful, like you said, how we promote ourselves. Again, there's this, there's this space of God's given me this gift and I'm using it to help others. And then there's, I'm a Christian, but... I'm doing everything on my own and I have worked so hard and I've look what I've done for myself, you know? And I think, but is the important word there with one T. Yes. But you don't want to but look like a butt too. with two T's. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. but I, I mean, it's just, you know, I heard someone say the other day, I was very thankful for the opportunity to be involved in this situation that helped other people grow closer to God. Mm-hmm. Or renew faith or find hope Mm -hmm. to do those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's the difference between the seven deadly sins pride and Mm. being proud of whose daughter you are. Mm. Well, yeah. And I mean, ultimately, aren't we trying to share him, right? Right. So whether you're doing that in a I can talk about him a lot or I can talk about him a little um, because it doesn't matter how I mean how much as long as it's towards him. But, you know, when you're talking to a person who maybe hasn't necessarily heard the information or the gospel or spreading, you know, his news, then if you're talking about only about Gina, how is it about him? Oh, that's good. You know what I mean? So somebody is going to be put off by that. Oh, that's good. But showing your thankfulness and your gratitude and knowing where your gift comes from, like, I want that joy. Mm -hmm. When I see you working, like, I I mean, it just makes me Mm -hmm. happy and it makes me light up. So I think there's just a difference there. Also, you should be proud of your faith. You should be proud of your salvation. And if you're meek about it, how does that encourage someone else to want what you have? Yeah. Well, and I mean, there, there's been times when people will be, will say, 
man, I just don't know what it is about you, but I'm just, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. Cause I, I, this is sounding so boastful and I don't want it to be, but, and my response is usually, Oh, that's just the Jesus in me because I promise you, I really am a self-centered. Oh, woe is me. Like there, that spirit lives in me. I know that I can easily fall back to what I was raised in easily, but but this little light of mine. Right, exactly. Is <laughs> in there saying. I'm going to let him shine. Is <laughs> saying, no, you can't because I have so much more planned for you. And I think that would be an encouragement. I hope that's an encouragement to anyone listening because you can sit there and just lay in where you came from if it's not good and be a victim and use it as an excuse to not do amazing things. And when I mean amazing things, I don't mean you know, Instagram and influencer, I mean, just making a difference in one person's life today. Right. And so you have a choice and I have to choose every single day to not be that little teenage girl that's making really bad decisions because bad things happen to her. So on that note, how do you encourage someone who comes from those horrible situations and doesn't know this man what do you say to them about this man that you know Mm. um i say i hate that for you and it's not your fault and people make bad decisions that affect us and it doesn't mean they don't love us it doesn't mean Anything other than we are all just human and make bad choices and our bad choices affect people sometimes. And sometimes that's our children. Sometimes that's just other loved ones around us. But there's a father that loves you and will never hurt you. And I would love to introduce you to him. Sorry, I'm just having a moment over here. How can we be praying for you? I guess clarity, I guess all those different lanes and hats that I talked about, just figuring out which one to pursue that God wants me to pursue and figuring out which ones are good, but aren't better. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. What would you say to someone who, A, hasn't shared their story, Mm -hmm. B, Someone that has maybe felt an inkling to maybe approach you to share their story here. Oh, that's good. I love your like complex questions because I have to remember parts A and B to it as I'm answering. Uh, (laughs) I'm like, wait, what was A? My remember I told you I'm that little girl with like I see squirrels all the time. You have a pen, so (laughs) so do you you. remember A and B? I do remember A and B. So A is. A is, is, how do I encourage someone to share their story? Yes. I would ask you, why are you not sharing your story? Because if you have a story of when you meant this man, Jesus, you should want people to hear your story. Now, I'm not saying you should be screaming it from a podcast or you should be, you know, holding a sign on the corner. But I think you should be very aware when someone's around you who, who needs the hope that Christ offers for you to go, hey, listen, can I share my story with you? Right. On the flip side of that, I think you should be asking people to tell you their story because we live, and I do not want to say the stats wrong, but they are horrific of how many people claim to be a Christian but don't actually have a relationship with Jesus. So they misunderstand what that means. And if you tell me you're a Christian, my response is, then tell me about when you met Jesus. 
And if you can't tell me when you met Jesus, and I'm not asking for a date. I didn't give you a date, but I can tell you where I was sitting. I can tell you the jeans I had on. I can tell you who was, who was sharing that message with me. I can, if they can't tell you those things, I would encourage you to help them lean into understanding that they really do and how to have that relationship with Christ. Part B, (laughs) if someone feels that they have a story to tell, because that would mean that you're a born again believer. So you have a story to tell no matter how vanilla it is. I would email us the emails in the show notes, but it's info at tmaam.com. I'm pretty sure. And that's it. But go to the show notes and double check and just email it to us. And I'm going to pray over it. I'm going to ask for some, I'm going to share it with some very trusted advisors. And I'm going to say, do you feel that this is someone that we should have on the show? And we're going to vet that. We're going to pray over it. And then we're going to, yeah, contact you. That's great. I think it's important that as a facilitator of the podcast, that you do ask for information, mm. right? Because you can't you can't go into something and you can't go into something like this blind. No. So I don't. I think that it's wise to ask them to share that with you before you get to this point. Yes, for sure. And that's that's part. That's kind of a learning. You know, we're we're learning as we go. I just have to trust that the Holy Spirit's gonna tell me yay or nay. Thank you so much for having us on the podcast today. Can I redo the, um, when I called you and, you know, out of tune saying happy birthday to you? No, I'm not really no. going to do that. <laughs> I was like, I guess so, but Just that's kidding, really no, not but your character. Happy birthday, best friend. I love you. Thank you. We are so thankful to be able to be a part of this, oh. even with our own episodes and mm-hmm. supporting, listening, um, and especially facilitating today. This has been the funnest <laughs> thing I've done in a while. So thank you so much for doing this. And thank you for sharing your story. I appreciate you two more than you know. This was take two because we did have some technical issues. So I appreciate you and everyone who has helped make today happen. And I'm so thankful that people just keep coming back and subscribing and listening and sharing. And that's um, that's what it's all about. And may God bless the next one year that I have on earth or the next 50. Who knows? Amen. Amen. My dear friend. I want you to know that this man Jesus my guest spoke of is relentlessly pursuing you at this very moment and longs to love you unconditionally no matter your story. There's no fancy prayer or special words, just believe, trust, and surrender. We've listed several free resources in the show notes to help you begin your relationship with Jesus and to walk in His truth and love today and for eternity. And to my brothers and sisters, if you already have a relationship with Jesus, then I encourage you to continue to pray for our guest and all who listen to this podcast and to go tell others about a man that changed your life forever.